We're here to exalt the risen Savior who unites us and makes us partners together by His grace and ultimately for His glory. So let's pray and ask Him to bless this time and use this time to edify us and to build us up in the faith so that we would be able to remember what God has called us to do as partners. Heavenly Father, today, today is your day. Today is a day you have granted us by your grace because of Christ's sacrifice. A day that we can set apart to adore you, worship you, and be edified by you, not only by your spirit, but by one another as we build one another up in the truth and we remind one another of the truth. Lord, I pray as we do that, I pray that our partnership in the gospel would would grow and we would go because of that into the world with confidence and with assurance and with hope that you, Jesus, will be praised through our partnerships together in the gospel. I I pray that our hearts and minds will be united this morning around your word and that we will see not only the immediate application but the continued application of your word in our lives and our ministry as a church. As we study this, I just pray that it just cultivates and stimulates hunger and growth in the saints, and it truly illuminates and grants faith to those who need salvation today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can can turn with me to Philippians chapter 1 this morning. This text this morning is going to take us to a special place with the Apostle Paul to... uh, if you will, kind of eavesdrop on his letter to the Philippians, the letter he's writing from prison because of the gospel, because he was a faithful proclaimer of the gospel. And he writes this church to edify them as he is suffering, which is an amazing irony. And it's just evidence of, I think, the the bigger picture of the sermon this morning, that God wants his church edified. He wants those who are partners in the gospel, to be edified by the gospel. And so he writes this wonderful epistle for us to cause us to remember those who partner with us in Christ's service. Whenever, whenever I remember you in my prayers, I, I recall a lot of things about this church, Sovereign Grace, in my prayers. I, I, I recall constantly being edified by Nate's first sermon in Romans 12. I, I am... Remembering blessed events that we celebrate as a church body, things like baptisms. I remember our first baptism, and it was amazing. I'm encouraged by your giving. I'm encouraged when I think about how you gave to the pals, our first missionaries. I'm excited by how you continue to give to missions as a church. When I think about what you're doing, it excites my heart in Christ. I'm thrilled as I remember how you have told me the stories of evangelism, how you have been able to talk to your friends and coworkers and family about Christ. It thrills me. I'm fueled pastorally by your words of encouragement to me personally and to Nate. Whenever I remember these things, it causes me to do one thing. It causes me to give thanks to God for you. That's what the Apostle Paul does here in Philippians. He gives thanks to God for their personal partnership in the ministry. And I I give thanks to God for the very same reason for all of you and your personal partnership in the ministry here at Sovereign Grace. That's what we see going on here in the first five verses of this text. We find ourselves, like I said, 
with the Apostle Paul in prison as he is writing a letter that is full of joy and thanksgiving to God for the personal partnership he had with the Philippian saints. This text should actually cause all believers, all of us here, to joyfully give thanks to God for those who are partnered with us here in our church, in Christ's service. This should be an active part of your prayer life and an active part of your personal ministry in the church as well. The faithful fellowship that we see Paul rejoicing over here and the service of the saints at Philippi was, was the basis of his joy and thanksgiving as he prayed. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Let's look at the first five verses together and then we'll go through and point out some key points and look at some application. Philippians 1.1 1, 1. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because, because of your partnership or fellowship or koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now, presently. He says he thanks God every time he remembers them. Always, in every prayer of his, his personal prayer life, he always makes mention of them specifically with joy because they are joint participants in the gospel with him from the beginning of the church until the present gift they have gave him as a church, which, a, which was a financial gift and a personal gift of a leader, Epaphroditus. If you notice, in this greeting, in this prayer, there are no regrets. Paul's not saying, I wish you would be like this. That's why I'm praying for you. There are no rebukes in this opening statement and prayer to God. There is nothing but praise to God for their partnership in the gospel. This is an amazing testimony. This is the testimony I think that we desire to have as a church because ultimately we want our labor and our work and our partnership to bring honor and praise to our God. That's what Paul does. He, he defers all praise to God. It's to God. I thank my God in my remembrance of you and your work. He goes to great lengths to specifically say, I remember you. I'm praying for you. I am wanting to edify you. I think that's an important part of this greeting and this prayer. According to this, this text, verses 3 through 5, Paul is joyfully giving thanks for those who partner with him personally in Christ's service. This is a very personal statement. He no, notice he says, me and you all. It's not because he's from the south. Okay? You all means all of you in the church that are saints in Christ Jesus. He repeats Jesus' name like four times before he comes to this text, to this prayer. I think he's wanting us to see that we are partnered together in Christ. And it is, it is important that we encourage one another in that partnership. I think Paul is teaching us that 
Joyful thanksgiving, you can write this down as your outline. Joyful thanksgiving flows out of, number one, personal memories. His joyful thanksgiving came out of his personal memories. We see that in verse 3. His joyful thanksgiving flows out of, number two, prayerful ministries. He's interceding on their behalf. And there is great joy as he thinks about them and begins to call upon God in their behalf. There is joyful thanksgiving that flows out of his prayer life. And joyful thanksgiving flows out of, number three, his personal and, I would add, his practical ministries. I think that's what we see in verse 5. I think verse 5 is specifically showing us that his joy and thanksgiving flows out of his ability to edify this church. He's thankful for the Philippians. He is thankful and he wants them to know that he sees evidences of God's grace in their life and that evidence is affecting his ministry and the propagation of the gospel. This is personal and this is practical. Now, I want to go quickly through these first three, these three points because I have a lot more application today than I have exposition. Number one, in verse 3, notice this, that Paul's thanksgiving flows out of a personal memory. We see that there, right? I thank my God. It's personal. It's his God. He doesn't just say Jehovah. It's personally my Redeemer, my Savior, my God in all my memories of you and all my remembrance of all my ponderings as I meditate and talk to God I give thanks every time I think of you Paul's he is exulting he is praising God for what God began immediately when that church was planted Paul prays here thankfully is what he's saying he is thankful to God he's thankful because the Philippian church from the beginning displayed the power of the gospel. The Philippian church displayed the power of the gospel immediately. See, he's, he's reflecting on a 10-year history here. He's giving thanks because after 10 years, he can still see the power of the gospel alive in their life, in their ministry. That's a wonderful testimony. Let that be the testimony of sovereign grace. Ten years from now, let the world see the power of the gospel that began in 2009. He says, I, I saw this from the beginning of the ministry at Philippi. It was immediate. So I'm giving thanksgiving to God because of my memory of what happened ten years ago. Look with me and see what happened ten years ago. Acts 16 tells us what happened ten years ago. Acts 16, verse 13. Here's what Paul's Remembering. Here's his personal memory that's leading to thanksgiving. It's, it's giving praise to God because there is a faithful and immediate witness in Philippi that God established in verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after, she immediately believed, it's apparent he opened her heart, and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come to my house and stay 
And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. And look further down. This is not all that he remembered. He remembered where he was led to after he delivered this woman from this demon, after God miraculously worked through the Apostle Paul to convert Lydia, then to set free this demon-possessed girl, God placed Paul miraculously in prison to promote the gospel behind the walls. Paul's remembering all these things. And here in verse 32, we see how his memory is driving him to give thanks now in Philippians. He says, And they spoke the word of the Lord this is to the Philippian jailer, to him and to all who were in his house. And the Philippian jailer took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Paul is remembering in Philippians 1.3, the immediate power of the gospel that was lived out in this church personally from the beginning. Can, can you imagine this? You've, you and I have never seen anything like this. Imagine walking into a completely unchurched community, a place where the gospel has never been proclaimed, and immediately God converts people right before your eyes. I mean, what, a, what a, an amazing evangelistic mission that would have been. Immediately you see the fruit, too, of that saving faith that God grants. They were baptized. They were serving, bringing Him into their homes, rejoicing in the grace of God. This is cultivating joyful thanksgiving in the Apostle Paul because he remembers this personally. That's where his... Joy comes from as he prays about this church. I saw the power of the gospel immediately. And I remember that every time I pray for you, Philippians. Wow! It began powerfully and it continued powerfully. Look at point number two in verse four of Philippians. In Philippians 1.4, you notice that Paul's thanksgiving flows not only out of a personal memory, but also out of a prayerful ministry. His thanksgiving goes to God through prayer. Verse 4 says, He is always in every prayer for you all, making my prayer with joy. Paul prays joyfully here, he says. He prays joyfully because, again, the Philippian church produced something. Not just immediately, but personally. They personally produced the love of the gospel. They reflected it in their behavior, in what they did for others. Ten years later, they're still rejoicing over the grace that was given to them and the love they received in Christ. And they continued personally to love others as a result of the gospel coming to them through the Apostle Paul. And that's why he says, it's not only that I remember what happened in the past, I remember what has been happening since then. So that every time I pray, I remember you with joy. Because I know what you're doing. I know what's going on behind the scenes that nobody knows about. I know that you're giving sacrificially. 
out of your poverty. I know that you're giving to other churches when you don't even have enough food and support to care for your own. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians. That's what they did. 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8. This is a testimony to their partnership with the Apostle Paul in the ministry of the gospel. Here's what brought joy every time Paul prayed for this church. It, this is what stirred up thanksgiving and praise in Paul's heart. In 8.1 he says, We want you to know, brothers, speaking to the church at Corinth that was in need, I want you to know, brothers, he says, about the grace, the favor of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This is, this is what's on the Apostle Paul's mind when he is praying for them all the time. Not just the immediate response that they gave to the gospel, but the ongoing effects of the gospel, the love that they have, that they have received from Christ, they now promote personally toward others, and they do so sacrificially. Ten years later, whenever they heard of a, a need arising, their hearts were drawn to support those in need, even if it cost them dearly, sacrificially. They gave. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging for the opportunity to be partners in the ministry at Corinth. I mean, what an amazing testimony. No wonder Paul is praying all the time for all the saints. They give evidence of the love of Christ by their love for others. That should be the case when we pray for each other here. I pray that we can see that in one another's lives. We can see the love of Christ growing exponentially, reaching out sacrificially to those in need. And I pray that that causes you to bring joyful thanksgiving to our God who partners us together in this grace. Third point from Philippians 1, 5. You'll notice talks about Paul giving thanks again and his thanksgiving flows not only out of his personal memories in his prayerful ministry, but it flows out of a practical and personal costly ministry. He gave his own life for the sake of this church. He, he gave up many things. He's in prison for the gospel's sake. It's personal, but it's also very practical. He says that he basically always, in every memory of his, gives thanks to God Every time he prays for everyone there with joy in his heart because he sees the, the personal work that's going on in their lives. But he does so, he says in verse 5, because of this. I see all this happening, appraising God for all these things because of your partnership, of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is joyfully giving thanks to God here because the Philippians produced the grace of God continually. Not just immediately, not just personally, but continually, and they did so practically by caring for the Apostle Paul personally. Look at Philippians 4 to see that. Philippians 4, 10. 4, 10 through 20. 
And here what we see is the continual grace of the gospel being lived out in this church willingly. And Paul is just amazed by this. Paul is just rejoicing over God's grace to him through their ministry, their willing, continual ministry to him and their partnership with him in the gospel. Verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. They had wanted to give an offering, a gift to the Apostle Paul, but they couldn't find him, they couldn't get it to him, something prevented it. And finally, now, they, they found a way to get it to him through Epaphroditus. And so he's, he's saying, I, I'm really thankful, I'm rejoicing in the Lord because you finally found a way to do this. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. Partner with me in this ministry. Partner in this trouble. Concern yourself with me physically, financially, spiritually. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, the beginning of that church plant, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. See, he's praising God. He's thanking God continually because they are continuing faithfully in the gospel, in the grace of the gospel, caring for him personally. Verse 16 says, Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but... I seek the fruit, wait a minute, the fruit, the evidence that they are united to Christ, that they are partnered with Christ, that they are in union with Christ. I seek the fruit of your salvation that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. When Paul, when Paul states in verse 13 that he can do all things through him who strengthens me, he doesn't mean he can do all things. What he means is, in this context, is I can do all things to promote the gospel. Because of God who strengthens me. God who provides for me. And he does so through partnerships in the ministry. Verse 19, he has the same idea. He says, God will supply every need they have. God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. In other words, he's going to supply everything you also need, just like he does for me, to help you promote this glorious gospel message. Now, in the promise of giving them everything they need to promote the gospel, he is going to take care of them physically to some degree, right? Providentially, he's working out things in their lives, but he's doing that primarily through their koinonia, through their partnership in the church. God has ordained the church to be a place where we come together to to work in the gospel together, to promote the gospel together, and to care for one another practically and personally, continuously, until Christ comes. What we see there is that Paul is giving thanks again. 
in this text, as well as in Philippians 1, 3 through 5, he is giving thanks to God for gospel partnership. Think about that for a second. That's what he's saying throughout this whole book. He's praising God for this church as they labor with him as partners in the gospel. And he's doing so by edifying them personally here. He is telling them that their joint participation is intended for the propagation of the Great Commission. And that happens through personal edification. That's what the whole book is about. That's what the whole letter is. It's a book of edification. The Philippians were bringing great joy and thanksgiving to Paul. They're edifying him by the work that God's doing in them and through them. It edified him every time he thought about them. Because they hadn't wavered. They were continuing on in the gospel, reflecting the gospel, living out the gospel, supporting those who are suffering for the gospel. From the very beginning to this point right here, Paul is saying, this gospel propagation is coming through your edification. Each one of you saints in Christ, you servants of Christ, you are edifying me in this partnership. I don't know if we often think about Paul needing to be edified. But he did. He's about to die in 2 Timothy at the end of his life. He's suffering in a, in a pit, in a dungeon. And he says, Timothy, I need my cloak. I need the parchments. And oh, I, I need John Mark. He's needful. He is needful for me. I need my brother Mark. He needed edification. And he, he received that through his partnership his fellowship with those who are in the gospel. Look, the Philippians couldn't be there with Paul in the prison at Rome, so they sent Epaphroditus. You, do you realize what, what they did by sending Epaphroditus? Paul's in prison for breaking the law. So let's send one of our leaders to hang out with him to say that he is united with Paul, and it puts our leader at risk because now he is aligning himself with the Apostle Paul. He could be arrested, imprisoned, locked up to edify this dear brother in Christ, and to continue seeing the gospel go forth. This partnership was needed. Your partnership in this church is needed. Just I'm going I'm to shift from this text into some, some application of this text. This is a very simple text. It's not complicated. It's not one of those hard to, to, to diagram. It's not one of those things that you just struggle with going, oh, what does it mean? No, what it means is Paul's thankful for their partnership. And we need to be thankful for our partnership. Their partnership produced joy and thanksgiving. Your partnership does the same for those who are here in this church. I think that the testimony of the Philippians is amazing. And it's obviously an illustration of God's grace at work in a church. I don't think Paul's trying to flatter them here. I think he's trying to give praise to God for what he's doing through this partnership. I think that's why God gives us this text. I think this text is a personal testimony of how faithful fellowship in Christ will exalt God and edify the saints to continue on in the gospel ministry so that we can promote the gospel through our partnerships continually. When you, when you read these opening statements by Paul, don't you ever just kind of wonder why he writes the way he writes? And here's what I mean by that. Haven't you ever wondered why Paul writes down personal prayers 
I mean, this is something he's talking to God about privately. All my prayers and all my memories, you know, reflect back to God and I, I thank God for you and I'm praying for you personally because you're amazing. I mean, wouldn't that have a tendency to feel like he's flattering you? It would be if he didn't include the part about, I thank my God. Because it's my God who does all this work in you and through you. You know, we wouldn't normally write a letter like this unless it was written this way to intentionally encourage the recipient. Right? This is edification. Intentional edification here. It's also inspired by the Holy Spirit who we know wants the saints to be edified and promote the gospel. Paul, Paul's writing this letter and, and if this wasn't inspired by God, this, this would sound as if he is flattering them. You guys are amazing. You're the source of my joy. I mean, that's what he sounds like he's saying. And he says, I'm going to write this down in a letter so that you'll pass it around and everybody will read about how great you are. That's kind of what it sounds like at first glance until you really reflect on verse 3. I thank my God. All of his praise and all of his joy comes from God who partnered them with him to do the work of the ministry. He says every prayer for them was filled with joy because of this personal partnership in the promotion of the gospel. Ultimately, what Paul is really wanting to do is to edify these saints to continue on promoting the gospel. Partnering with those who proclaim the gospel. That's why I think he does this. I mean, it's obvious that he wants to do this. He wants to edify saints. Almost every New Testament epistle starts off this way. Let me, let me show you a few of these. He does this over and over again in the epistles. Look at Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Alright, just, if I wrote that to you personally, I mean, that would, I would think, encourage you. Right? I think that it would build you up. I think that's his point. He's giving us insight into his personal prayer life to edify them. Listen, there's a, there's a big difference between edification and flattery. He grounds all of his edification in the work that God has instituted, the work that God has produced in them. But he also edifies them to show them that this is evidence of that work. God is at work in you, confirming your salvation, confirming that you are in Christ. So I give thanks for you. He does it again in Colossians 1, in Colossians 1, 3, and 4. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. All right, when he and Timothy sat down at a campfire for fish, they Always thank God for this church. That's amazing. I mean, what if, what if Paul is writing this to you? I always thank God for you. Every time I sit down. He says, I do this because of verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. I thank God because I see evidence of Christ's work in your life. I see evidence of the gospel. Therefore, I rejoice over you because of the work that Christ is doing in you. It's evident. Your love for the saints. Your faith in Christ. 
2 Thessalonians says the same thing. 2 Thessalonians 1, 3. It says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Again, he grounds this in giving thanks to God for you because God is the one who is cultivating this growth in their life. We'll see that. Go back with me to Philippians. Here in Philippians, when he starts off, he goes quickly into his second chapter and he says this in verse 12, Therefore, beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence much more, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Paul knows that the work that is being cultivated in the hearts of the saints is because of the work that God has began there through the gospel. It's the evidence of the Spirit of Christ at work in the saints that Paul is giving thanks for when he prays every time always for the saints. That's why I think he gives us these intimate looks into his prayer life. This is why I think he reveals this personally here to the Philippians. I think maybe that God would like us to learn something from the Apostle Paul's prayer life this morning. I think he would like to teach us that our personal partnership in the gospel as a church needs to flow out of personal and powerful edification. It seems that's what happens here. It seems that as he edifies them, it propels them into the gospel ministry. That's what we see, I think, happening there in 3 through 5. Again, he's not flattering the believers. He's trying to edify the believers. I think, I think what Paul's trying to do here is, I think Paul is trying to reestablish and affirm in their minds the truth about God's purpose for their partnership. See, they weren't going into the field with him. Maybe they felt like they weren't really all that significant. Maybe they needed to be reminded that they are partners, fellow laborers in the gospel. There's a purpose in your salvation. It's not just for your own personal comfort. It's for the propagation of the gospel as you serve with others. That's what Ephesians 2 actually alludes to. Go to Ephesians 2. I think in all the greetings and all those personal prayers that we see of the Apostle Paul, what he's doing is he's, he's trying to remind the saints of God of the reason that God saved them. And I think we see that reason here in 2, 8, 9, and 10. And so often, church, we, we neglect verse 10. And verse 10 is a part of the gospel message. You're saved for a purpose. You're saved to magnify the work of Christ eternally and continually here on earth. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Your salvation is completely and utterly dependent on God's grace and Christ's work. It's not a result of works, verse 9 says, so that no one may boast. You are saved to magnify Jesus. Verse 10 says, For we are His product, His produce, His workmanship, His fruit, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Well, I submit to you there's no greater work that we could do as a church than to propagate the gospel and partner with those who do so faithfully. And we need to do that here corporately. We need to do that missionally as we reach out to help others who are in the mission field. We need to do this because the gospel changed us. And we know that the gospel can change all sinners. And we know that we have that hope that we, though we can't go sometimes into the field, we can support those who do go. And we can partner with those who are here in the field that God has planted us in. We need to do that through edification, encouraging one another to continue on in the gospel, in the truth, in doctrine. God knows how important the ministry of edification is. He knows how important this ministry is because we as Christians, we, we get weak. We grow weary. We grow forgetful. Sometimes we're doubtful. Sometimes we wonder if we're saved at all. And sometimes we need to be reminded by others who see something that we don't see. We need those who will edify us in the church and remind us that there is an active, present work of God in our life, though we can't see it necessarily. Reminding us that they saw it at the beginning, they saw it in the past, and they see it continuing, continuing today in our ministry, in our life. We need that reminder. We need to be edified continually as Christians. That's what Hebrews reminds us of also. Hebrews 10. I think that's what Paul's prayer is really cultivating there in the Philippians. I think in the Philippian church, they needed to be reminded that this great apostle Paul needed their service, wanted their service. They were laborers with Paul in his ministry. And I think that produced joy in their hearts and thanksgiving in them as well. We need to be reminded we need to be cultivated in the truth so that we will rejoice together by stirring up one another in this truth. That's what Hebrews 10 tells us we should do in 10.19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Obviously here, the writer of Hebrews knows that these saints were getting weary. So he reminds them of what God has done to unite them. What Jesus did in coming to this world by living our life for us, by bleeding and dying in our place, by rising again in victory to guarantee our resurrection and our salvation. He says, that should, that should help you to draw near with a cleansed heart, a, a clean heart, a new heart. Don't... don't let go of this confession. Remind one another of this great truth as a church. He says, do that when you come together, verse 24. Consider how you do this. Well, how do you, do, how do you encourage one another? Well, you remind them of the gospel. You remind one another of what you see God doing in their life because of the gospel. Do you do good works? Do you pursue righteousness? Do you desire to glorify Jesus? 
Oh, that comes from God. That's not of the flesh. If you see that happening in the saints, encourage them with this truth. That's the evidence of the gospel in your life. Be encouraged as partners by proclaiming the gospel to one another. I think as a church, we need to learn to do this. I think this is a place we may be somewhat insufficient. We need to learn how to edify one another personally and vocally. I think we need to do it like Paul did. I think first we need to thank God for one another and we need to go to one another and thank the Lord for one another. I think it's what he's doing here in this prayer in Philippians. I think we need to learn to do this for the glory of God first and then for the good of the saints second and then for the evangelization of the world third. We want the saints to be encouraged so they would go out and do the work of the ministry. Stir them up in love to do good works. We need to do that again by pointing out the evidence of God's grace in their lives. So they will go out as faithful ambassadors, confident in the gospel that changed them as they go out and proclaim it to others. Let me, let me tell you what edification is. Edification is simply this. Edification is building up others in the truth that you see evidenced in their life. Building them up, pointing out what God is doing in their life by His grace, through His Word, pointing that out. And then, I think there's another side of edification we need to keep in mind. We point out and build them up in the truth. And by doing that, we confess to that person that we need them in this partnership. We see evidences of God work God's work in your lives, and I'm so thankful because apart from that work He's doing in you, I would be insufficient. I need your partnership personally. That, that requires humility. See, unity comes through humility. We build up others for the sake of God's praise and the good of the world, and we do so sometimes by confessing that we are needy. We're insufficient. That's why he puts us in a body, unites us together as a body. I think that's what Paul's doing by encouraging them in this prayer in Philippians. I think Paul illustrates this even better in Romans. Go with me to Romans 16. In Romans 16, I think Paul illustrates biblical edification personally and powerfully in this text. He, he points out here, that he wants to build them up and confess that he needs them in this partnership. He needs personal partners in the propagation of the gospel. He needs them in Rome. Paul's writing a letter to the Romans. Paul wants to come to the Romans. But there's already a church at Rome. So Paul, at the very end of this great letter, sends greetings to those who he needs those who he partners with in the gospel. We're going to look at verses 1 to 10 quickly. Verses 1 and 2. He says, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of of many, and of myself as well. I think this is an amazing illustration of edification. Imagine your Phoebe. Now, ladies, in this culture, 
to have your name mentioned first was just phenomenal. In a culture that neglected women, that abused women, Paul is edifying this woman. And you're going to be blown away by this. Paul's edifying her because he says that she is a co-laborer, a fellow servant, an equal with him in the ministry at Rome. And not only that, she's not only a fellow servant, you may or may not know this, but she is most likely the letter bearer to the church at Rome. She carries this letter from Centria to Rome personally for the Apostle Paul. This letter would not have came to this church apart from this woman's service. So he edifies her. He speaks to the church about her to build her up in the faith and confess his need of her. This is what we need to cultivate in our church. Considering others as more important than ourselves for the propagation of the gospel. Verses 3 and 4, we see him do it again. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. He says, greet this couple. Greet this husband and wife team. They are fellow workers and risk takers for the sake of the gospel. Now he's telling the church this so that these, these couples will continue on in this ministry with encouragement because they've been considered as Paul as partners. His ministry could not have taken place apart from this sacrificial labor that they expressed toward him. Verse 5, Peneatus. He says, Greet also the church in the house, in their house. Greet my beloved Epineatus, who was the first convert in Christ or to Christ in Asia. Now, this is encouraging here to me when I read this one. Paul is saying, I not only need really hard workers and risk takers, I need new converts. I need friends. Like this man, Epineatus. He says he is my beloved Epineatus. He means my friend. He means the church needs new converts. And people in the church need good friends. He's a good friend to Paul. He's a good friend to you. Verse 6. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Mary. Paul says, Mary is someone I needed because she was a hard worker in the church. Every church needs Mary. We need hard workers. Those who are behind the scenes. Those who are laboring faithfully without praise, typically. Yet he's saying, remember her. Remember her. She's important to me. I need her in this partnership. Verse 7, Andronicus and Junia. He says, greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. He says, not only do I need hard workers and friends and servants, I need redeemed relatives. I need my family. I need the family to serve with me, even in prison. That's where they're at. They're Jews, most likely. And obviously, because of that, he's tying them a little bit closer to him, even in this word kinsman, to being just Jews, but rather close relatives of the Apostle Paul. He says, redeemed relatives are important in our partnership. Verse 8, great Amplidius, my beloved in the Lord, 
And Pletius is a slave name. This is like a generic name. What, what Paul's saying is, this man, though you don't really know his real name, you know he is a slave. He is a slave, and I need slaves because he's a slave, most likely in this context, of Caesar's household. The church needs slaves. The church needs relatives, hard workers, beloved friends, fellow workers, servants. Verse 8, Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachius. Paul, Paul's saying here that these guys here, they're fellow workers. The church needs laborers. They need individual laborers. Those who will labor for the sake of the gospel, doing whatever it takes to promote the gospel. And when, when you begin to read some of these little descriptions here, you get the idea that they're not all going out into the field preaching the gospel. Some of them are taking care of the saints physically. Some of them are taking care of where they meet physically, providing, caring for one another. Verse 10 says, Greet Apelius, who is approved in Christ. Greet Apelius, who is approved. He, he says, I need, I need men who are approved, which means faithful in Christ. I need faithful men in the church. That's part of our partnership together. We, we need to work together with those who are faithful. Maybe he's an instructor. Maybe he's a teacher. Maybe he's someone who simply just has a sound testimony in the community. We need those kind of people in our church. We need to recognize them. So that's what he's doing in all this. He's recognizing those who are important to this partnership. Last there in, in verse 10b, he says, Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Now, this is interesting. Aristobulus most likely is not a convert, not a Christian, but his family is. Greet the single mom, in a sense, is what he's saying. The mom who comes without the husband. She and her family are important to our partnership and this ministry at Rome. Each person he is stating here is a gift to the Apostle Paul. And he even goes further. I'm not going to read all of them. He goes further. And he mentions a bunch of people. doesn't tell what they do. Or doesn't describe them much. But isn't it amazing that their names are in the book? That he took the time to edify them by pointing out their faithful partnership with him at Rome? They're mentioned by Paul, and I think they're mentioned for a very specific reason. They're, they're highlighted and edified because they were personal partners with the Apostle Paul in the ministry. He's trying to spur them on, to encourage them. And that's what we need to do as a church family. You need to learn to cultivate edification in your relationships, in our partnership. We need to learn to cultivate it joyfully and giving thanks to God for it because this is a privilege that God has placed us here together to serve Him as a family in this ministry. We need to spur one another on evangelistically and as we go out and support those who are going into the mission field. We need to, to be behind them, get behind them, encourage them. And just think about this for a minute. When was the last time you took the time to go to someone individually in this church body and speak to them the way Paul does? When was the last time you went to someone and said, every time I think about you and I pray to God, I have to give thanks for what God's doing in your life? Think about the last time you've done that. Ask yourself, are you doing that? Why aren't you doing that? Is it because maybe you don't want to confess that you need others? Because by confessing what God's doing in them, you're also confessing that you need that ministry in your life and you're insufficient. 
Are you pointing out the evidence of God's grace in one another's life? Are you doing that corporately? Are you doing it personally? We need to remember to thank God for one another, those who partner with us. We need to do so continually, like the Apostle Paul says he does there in Philippians. Go back with me to Philippians 1.3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy. We need to remember to do this. Let me give you some helpful hints on how to do this. We need to remember to cultivate edification continually by edifying people personally, by talking to them, by going to them, by spending time with them. This is not a, an exercise in social gathering here. We're not just here to gather together on Sundays. We are partnering together in the gospel to propagate the gospel through edification. We need to do this by giving thanks to God for those who do a few things like this. Those who personally edify you. Those who hold you accountable daily. I'm going to tell you who those people are. If you're married, that's your spouse. Husbands and wives, you need to be going to one another personally and edifying one another biblically. Pointing out evidence of God's grace in your spouse's life and encouraging your spouse to continue on in the faith. This, this helps us as a church body also, but it helps you personally promote the gospel in your family. You can also do that with your parents, kids. You can edify them. We need to edify and give thanks for those who personally also maintain the church. Those who clean. Those who pay the bills. That would be all those who give financially. We need to edify and give thanks for those who care for our kids in the nursery. We need to edify and give thanks to those who copy song sheets, those who decorate the building on the holidays, those who labor behind the scenes that we see doing things for the glory of God. We need to encourage them because that will enable us to promote the gospel as a church. You know, all the labor that goes on behind the scenes really is what keeps this building intact and allows us to meet here so we can gather, be equipped, and go forth. So go to those people who do these things. Go to those who clean, those who care, those who copy, those who decorate. And let them know that you see God working through their faithful service in this partnership and allowing it to encourage us to promote, promote the gospel. You need to also edify and give thanks for those who personally teach you every week. You need to give thanks, according to Scripture, for those who teach Sunday school, those who preach, those who disciple you every week. This is what helps you, equip you, prepare you personally to promote the gospel. You need to let those people know who labor over you in love that that work is being effectual, that that work is being profitable. So they will continue equipping you in the gospel. You need to edify and give thanks for those who personally also pursue you. If anyone ever calls you from this church, if anyone ever calls you or visits you or offers to pray for you, you need to give God glory and thanks for that. And if you're not doing that, let me encourage you to do it. It will encourage us to rejoice over the gospel and carry it forth with power. 
we need to be personally edifying those who edify us. I mean, if you've got one person in your life that's constantly calling you, texting you, emailing you, Facebooking you, and you don't ever respond to that person, shame on you. They're a partner in the gospel trying to encourage you. So pursue that person for the glory of God, giving thanks to God with joy in your heart every time you think of them for what they're doing to help you promote the gospel. That's what I think Paul's doing here in Philippians. The Philippians supported Paul through their personal partnership, and that's how we support one another here in our church. Again, this is not a corporation. It was a corporate gathering. It's not a corporation. It's not a business. It's a family. Paul's thanking God for his family. He's reminding them pastorally when he writes this that he loves them and needs them. This is a great illustration of pastoral edification here in this text. And I want you to know something as a church. Our, our joyful thanksgiving to God should flow out of the same things that we see here in this text. It, it should flow out of our personal memories of those who labor with us. And the way we, we I think, cultivate that is we think about how others in this church have encouraged us continually. Think about how God uses each person here individually. Recall that Exult in that. Praise God for that. Joyful thanksgiving to God should also flow out of a prayerful ministry in our church. We need to be interceding for those that we labor with. We need to be praying for them immediately. When they come to you with a need, don't say, yes, I will pray for you. Say, let's pray now, immediately. Let's cultivate this ministry of intercession out of joyful thanksgiving to God for giving us this opportunity to serve our brother or sister who is in need at this moment. Our joyful thanksgiving to God should also flow out of our personal ministries of edification. We must learn to take time to encourage one another personally. Paul does that here as inspired by the Spirit. I think if the Spirit of Christ is in you, you will want to do this also. You need to recognize those who you lean upon, those who you need in this church body, and go to them and confess to them that you see how God is using them personally to propagate the gospel here corporately. Every person here that's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is a part of the ministry of the gospel of this church. Everything you do is important to that ministry, whether it's cleaning, whether it's giving, whether it's serving publicly. God's using each of you personally. And you need to edify one another and fuel our partnership in the gospel. See, edification is ultimately not about praising the person, but God who united you. The God who brought you together in this partnership is worthy of praise. God brought you together, so therefore we praise God for one another. That's ultimately why we edify one another, is to give thanks to the God who brought us into this partnership through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. This partnership, according to what Paul says, was continual there at Philippi up until that very moment he wrote this letter. But let me just say something so we understand this. Our partnership in the gospel is eternal. Not just up to this point. But we look around in this room at each other and we see people we're going to spend eternity with. 
So we need to be learning to cultivate joy in our thanksgiving now by edifying one another in our ministry. I think that's what Paul does in writing this simple, concise praise to God. He is edifying the saints in their partnership in the gospel. I think we need to do that here continually until Christ comes, until the day of Christ, which verse 6 and 7 talk about. Let's pray that we do that. Lord, we do pray that as we reflect on the work you're doing in all the saints in our church, that we would give you praise and thank you for their ministry and pray that they would be encouraged in their personal ministry so that the gospel would go forth powerfully into the world. We pray that that we would edify one another as Paul illustrates here in this text, that we would find ways to point out the evidence of God's grace that is alive and at work in all the saints so that we would be encouraged to continue on in the faith for the glory of Christ. Lord, this is your church. This is your ministry and that you have allowed us to be partners in. And I pray that we would be able to rejoice in this ministry in humility. I pray that you would allow us to see the gifts of others as even more important than our own. And that we would point them out to ultimately point back to you, the giver of the gifts. I want to praise you today for what you have done in our church. I want to praise you today for what you are doing in our church. I want to praise you today for what you will do through our church to propagate the gospel throughout the world. I pray that you would be praised in what we do today in Jesus' name. Amen. Take my
and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love, at the impulse of Thy It's in your blood. 
Christ died your 